Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. This is Tina Spring. I'm joined today by my wonderful co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith, and have we got a guest for you today. So Helen St. Pierre and I have known each other probably at least 15 years, maybe longer than that, but that's not possible because she's not that old. And today we're going to talk about just a portion of her career, specifically working with special needs and old dog uh, hospice and hospice care. And her organization is uh, a 501c3 and it's called Old Dogs Go to Helen. And we wanted to bring her on today to talk about this because this is a really amazing, beautiful gift to the world. And we are all about supporting amazing, beautiful gifts to the world. So welcome to the show, Helen. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to chat about this. It's um, definitely a labor of love. So when I get to talk about it and, um, you know, focus on that a little bit, it's a really nice gift for me too. Well, um, we're so pleased that you're here. And uh, so Helen, um, I guess the the logical place to start is um, how did you get started with older dogs? What drove you to uh, to set up All Dogs Go to Helen? So I have I started my career in the behavior and training world in the shelter world, as many of us you know did. But 21 years ago, I uh, realized I really really wanted to work with dogs and animals in general, um, and. I had moved out to Colorado where the La Plata County Humane Society was the only animal shelter out in the Four Corners area. And this was a very high kill shelter where uh, we had 40, 50 runs, but 40 of them were filled with dogs. And what we would do is every morning we would shift the 10, like each row would go over so we could clean them, if that made sense. So we had 40 runs, we had 50 runs, but only 40 dogs could be in them. But we were right next to the reservation and La Plata County area was filled with a lot of street dogs, stray dogs. And so we would tend to get about five or six dogs in each day that would come in as strays or reservation dogs or all of this stuff. And if at the time we had 40 dogs in all 40 kennels, we would have to go down the rows and say which dog was the least adoptable. And we would have to on-site euthanize five or six dogs in order to be able to move those dogs that weren't claimed by the end of the day in. We had a crematorium on site um, and we had a euthanasia room right next to the crematorium room. And that was my introduction to dogs. Like I literally hit the ground running. So I was in that arena for about three years um, and climbed my way up from just dog tech to all the way up to kennel supervisor to being certified in euthanasia and all of that stuff. Because as we know, the shelter world has a lot of sort of turnover, high turnover, because it's a very difficult job. And that experience in that those first three years really shaped my views on behavior and shelter and dogs, like the the treacherous life that dogs lived if they weren't you know, the perfect dog to be adopted. And our senior dogs were like the first dogs to go, right? And as a result, um, I have forever, ever since leaving that 
shelter world. I have always and will always donated free of charge my evaluations and my shelter work to every shelter and rescue that wants evaluations on dogs or help with dogs. I've never charged any. It's like it's my way of paying back to the amount of animals that I had to say goodbye to in, in a very short period of time. And because of that, I have always been sort of very active in the shelter world. But when I lost one of my old dogs about seven years ago, I really missed having the old dog in the house. There's something about having an old dog in your house that sort of balances everything. And I, right as I lost him, a very old senior dog came into the shelter that I was currently helping and still help. And they said, we really need to find a foster for this dog. And I said, I'll take him. And it was just like, it was one of those knee jerk reactions at like 11 o'clock at night when that came through on the chat and I took him in. Um, and his name was Elliot. And we started with Elliot. We rehabbed him. We only had him for about a year. And then he passed. And literally, as soon as Elliot left, we jumped in and we took on another one. And we started, so this was about six and a half years ago, where we started taking in old dogs, one dog at a time, and have them from anywhere from a week to three months to a year. And about two years ago, we ended up with a dog that had more medical issues than I can state. He had skin, heart, thyroid, I mean, you name it. And his medications are about $600 a week. And I had so many followers on my business page that knew what I was doing because I obviously talked a lot about senior dogs and senior dog care. And so many people were like, can we please help you? How do we donate to help you? How do we get you down this road? You know, we want to assist. And so I said, okay, I'll start this separate space where people can put funding in and it can be a charitable organization, but it wasn't a nonprofit. And very quickly, I realized that with the amount of funding and the amount of need that there was, I needed to start a 501c3. And it sort of over the last two years has grown and grown and grown. And now we have 16 hospice dogs in a sanctuary. We bought a house specifically for a place to keep these dogs um, and the need continues to grow. So it's this, it's a very organic journey started from the very beginning of my career, um, all the way to this point. But it was sort of like a trickle effect until suddenly the floodgates opened and now it's, um, you know, 50% of what I'm doing, if that makes sense. That's a, that's a great story. Uh, my question for you at this point is, can you tell us a little bit more about how the sanctuary operates? The dogs are not available for adoption or fostering. They just stay with you at the sanctuary. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of your day-to-day operations? How does this work? So the, we, the, the sanctuary is our home. Our home is the sanctuary. Like we, they're one and the same. Prior to um, buying this house, our old dogs were in our living room. So we would have four or five of them at that point sort of in our living room. And we would be just cleaning up pee and poop all day <laughs> uh, because that's what old dogs, that's what it is. Um, and we have young children. So my youngest is five. And so when we were doing this prior to this, you know, she was like one or two and I was really struggling with the old dog's quality of life, my daughter's quality of life and my quality of life and managing incontinent dogs. You know, not, I'm not talking about the old part, but just the incontinent part and being able to, with that amount, right? If you have just one, it's different from when you're taking on four or five at a time. And so I needed, I we realized that we needed a home that had a separate space where we could create it, still be a part of our home, but have a place where we could literally line the floors with urine pads 
and the dogs could have as many accidents as they want and also be free fed and all of that and have their own separate entrance that could be a ramp with no stairs. And so that's what the sanctuary is. It is literally on on our property. It's the garage, but it's not a garage. It's a beautiful like little cabin. It's one level living. We have ramps that go in and ramps that go out. Um, it's a living room with a television and um, it's it's a nice big open space. And so we're in there pretty much six, seven, eight times a day. I mean, it's just part of our life. We, they, we're in there, we're caring for them the same way we're caring for our own animals because we consider them ours. We don't adopt out because the dogs that we take generally have a lifespan, average lifespan of about six months. Um, and the goal for me is never to put that animal through any more transition than they've already been through. We do have some that are longer residents. Like they, we have, you know, Fletch has been with us for a year. He's our longest resident at this time. And hopefully he'll get it a little bit longer, but our goal is not to try to find more placement for them. We want to be the safe place, the soft landing for them to be here, if that makes sense. So the day-to-day care is the same as it would be if it was a dog that I've had from a puppy. It's it's not, we're not a shelter or a facility in that regard. Um, we do have a very small group of extremely dedicated volunteers that come and spend time with them, but we're not like a, we're, it's a, we're a private residence that's doing this. Well, that didn't sounds you, terrific. Didn't you recently have a lab who ended up going blind that you was a younger dog who had to have a nucleation done, but you found was, healthy and active enough that didn't, I thought you found him a home. So that was through one of the shelters that I worked with. So I work very closely with lots of local and um, national shelters. If they have a special needs dog that they do not have the capacity to fund the care or um, specific disability or, or testing or anything like that, old dogs will still pay for, facilitate, and foster that dog. And then that organization will adopt that dog out. So Stevie that came to me, we fostered him through old dogs. Um, We paid for his double inoculation and everything that he needed. And then he was adopted out through the SPCA. We don't adopt out in that regards, if that makes sense. If we take the dog in as a transfer from the rescue, that dog is staying with us. We don't adopt them out. Wonderful. So if someone had a heart for rescue and they, because re- this seems like an underserved group, like I get, I get calls probably once a month from someone who has an elderly family member. They have this old, probably not super healthy dog that the rest of the family is like, we don't, he doesn't like anybody. We don't like, he's lost his person. They often pretty significant behavior problems that you couldn't easily put them in a house with children. This seems like a really under uh, served community in dogs. Do you have a way for people who have a heart for this work to either model something after what you're doing or even expand to have this going on in other places. Yeah, I mean there's there's only 50 senior dog sanctuaries in the US. There's not a lot of us that are out there doing this. The main concern that many of us that are doing this have is that men, a lot of people seem like wow, it sounds like a great idea. Um but it's it is four or five times the work than 
your regular shelter facility because you are dealing with the significant medical issues and the incontinence and all of that, not let alone behavioral. Although honestly, um, I, and I talk a lot about senior dog behavior and stuff. It's kind of like watching whales, like, you know, senior dogs are so slow that even when they have issues, it's like, everybody calm down. No, like it's it's absolutely it's usually fine. Like right, like their they, arguments are not exactly. hugely dangerous because they have right. right, right, right. But the the reality is is that you know people can get in over their heads very very quickly cost wise because you're not you're not making you're not financially making anything in terms of uh, adopting out. Um, when I do fundraisers or if I do fundraisers. I don't bring old dogs. I don't, you know, like a lot of these places will have these fundraisers. Oh, let's bring some dogs for people. That... I don't do that with my old dogs. I'm not doing that to them. Um, so it's, it's, it can be a very lonely, isolated way of doing this. So it's, it's important that my recommendation, anybody who's interested in doing this, seek other sanctuaries out and talk to them. But quite frankly, what we don't need is we don't need sanctuaries. We need to actually be promoting people like individuals and families to be looking into helping and doing this themselves we need to be promoting people to look into bringing in senior dogs or hospice dogs or special needs dogs for adoption and taking them in and that's really where we're going to need less sanctuaries and we're going to see more of this this need met so i have started making kind of a consistent effort with even puppy people. So um, our audience here knows I had a breast cancer experience that was fascinating earlier in the year. I'm doing great. Thank you. But it, for the first time, really brought into mind for me, what would, if something were to happen to me, like we have four dogs and a cat and kind of, that's a, that's a lot of care. It's a lot of expense. I'm trying to impress upon people, no matter how young we are, we really should be making plans for what would happen if something happened to us, right? A car accident can happen anytime. And while I, you know, I'm still buying green bananas, I should be planning for the what ifs. I think every family should be planning for the what ifs. So um, can you speak a little bit to what options there are for families? Because I'm sure as you've moved through this, You've researched like how to help your your regular clients to avoid their dogs being a dog that does have not that it's not a great place to go to Helen, but I'm sure ideally we're all working to keep dogs from needing that uh, that umbrella to catch them. Well, it's a, it, there's multiple facets that go into why dogs end up in these situations. There are absolutely the cases where people have not done the planning that's necessary and they've gotten sick or the elderly have no are no longer able to care for the animal and the family can't take the dog on. A lot of cases the family can, but sometimes the family can't. They either live out of state, they don't have the facilities to do so or the financial ability or anything like that. So having a a um an understanding and a and, and a plan in place just like we have a plan in place like a will for what's going to happen to our property, what's going to happen to anything like that is absolutely essential and helpful. However, um, a lot of the cases of the dogs that we get are people who did not realize or understand how much care an old dog would need 
as they get older because elderly dog care and and a you know, seniorhood in pets is not discussed widely enough by any professional other than your veterinarian. And it's only when they are really at that point. So the goal uh, and something that I'm actively trying to do is promote senior dog care and hospice dog care awareness. So people aren't caught off guard by things like incontinence, diabetes, Cushing's disease, um, dent, massive dental care, you know, all of those things that can come up very, very quickly and in a short period of time. We spend a lot of time prepping people for puppy biting and mouthing and crate training and obedience classes and all of that stuff, right? So everyone's sort of aware, oh, in the first three years, it's going to be a lot of work. But the last three years are not educated about nearly enough. So the more we're educating people on that portion, the the less likely we're going to have people calling me, which is now a call I get about five or six times a day. I've got an incontinent dog. It's ruining my floors. I can't do this anymore. Will you take him? And that's that's what we need to try to avoid. Well, and and I love that idea that that we really do, especially trainers, I think, have a big responsibility to plan to help families understand like, yes, you have the cute little puppy, but they're by the time they're 20, the amount of work you'll be doing is spectacularly different than the work you're doing on even that front end with a young puppy. Just having vestibular disease hit out of nowhere and send a dog and a family into, you know, crazy town. It happens very quickly and it brings a tremendous amount of stress to the home sometimes as a dog is aging and deteriorating. So I personally, like if you decide to to come up with a program to do that education, sign me up. I will, I will be your, another voice helping with that. And I would love that work, right? Because it is really a rich blessing. Well, for me, as my dogs have aged, I mean, I've had dogs that were in a drop-through crate just like they were when they were itty-bitty puppies. So if they had to eliminate, they could, and they weren't in filth. And when we were home, they were managed in a way that they weren't destroying our house, but we could richly love them. And I've kind of found my way through to that because I've had so many dogs. But for the average family, they have no idea what's coming, and they just get overwhelmed, both by the cost and by the amount of stress and work it is. Right. And that's, gonna... that's my workshop called Savoring the Sunset. So we, I have a workshop that we do. I do specifically on, on senior dog care and proactive care, not just uh, physically, but behaviorally as well. Understanding proactive uh, behavioral management for senior dogs and understanding, uh, you know, the high amount of anxiety that dogs will go through when their form, when their function and purpose uh, suddenly drops down, they're no longer able to do that. Things like considering one level living and all of that. So so we do have a course called Savoring the Sunset, which is sort of a precursor to my The Good Death course that we teach. Um, I was going to say one of the things that uh, we have done on Your Family Dog and I've I've done with my clients is Dr. Alicia Karras from Tufts came on and she talked about giving the older dog a, a better life. And one of the things she also talked about was Having and and we'll link to this in, in the show notes because I think it dovetails quite nicely with this. She has a, a checklist for older dogs that you can um, go through on it and just check off. You know, how are we doing today on elimination? How are we doing on eating? How are we doing on 
you know, pain. Are we walking okay? So you can just check it off on a daily basis. So you can actually see how your dog is doing over a period of time, which helps you to better manage them as well as gives you information that you can work with with your vet. You know, I think it's really important to begin to understand that, you know, our dogs start to deteriorate and we need to keep that in mind. We need to think about, you know, arthritis supplements earlier than what most people do. And I think we need to think about pain management earlier than most people do, because I think dogs hide pain a lot. And I think you can begin to see that if you're willing to sort of just do this checklist on a, on a regular basis. So that that's exactly what we have. We have a, a checklist. I, I categorize all of my hospice dogs into three things, which is uh, function, um, purpose, and joy. I look at those three things every single day with each hospice dog. And that's what I teach clients about when we talk about quality of life versus quality of death. Because that, again, that's something that is not discussed and talked about enough. And what people have to understand is that quality of life and quality of death often overlap. As you're getting into the lower levels of the quality of life, you're getting, you're in the high levels of quality of death and understanding what the stages of death and the death process looks like, both physically and mentally, um, and how you measure that function, purpose, and joy for clients and that checklist. Um, we often look at quality of life in terms of physical function. Uh, how is the dog walking? Is the dog eating? How, you know, and I really, really focus very much in my work with my hospice dogs on uh, purpose and joy because the function portion is only part of it. And that unfortunately is is very uh, honed in on. But purpose and joy in our animals, just like it is with us, is a huge part of feeling alive. You know, whether or not we're breathing or not or eating or not does to me does not say that I've had a good day, you know. Right. Um, and I think that's a terrific way to, to take a look at it. I was thinking when um, our old dog Rubble got um, myelin degeneration on his on his back and he wasn't in pain and our daughter was was in college and it was kind of her dog. So we put him on prednisone, but he was really happy. I mean, like when we were putting it when she got home, we were putting up the Christmas tree and, you know, we just put a blanket down for him to lay down and gave him some popcorn and he, you know, ate his popcorn while we were putting up the Christmas tree. And my husband would put him in the wagon to take him for a walk around the neighborhood so he could get all the sniffs and stuff. So as he was deteriorating physically, he wasn't quite deteriorating mentally or emotionally yet. And when that started to go, then we did make the decision to euthanize him. But I think there are ways, if you're willing to be creative and take a look at, you know, not just form and function, but emotional form and function as as well. And so I love the idea that you also consider the joy because Rebel had a couple of really good last few weeks, you know, riding around in the wagon. And we, we lost our pug last year, really young to some oral cancer, right? So it oral cancers generally are awful and progress really quickly. And I think it was the first time that I got the timing right for a euthanasia, right? It wasn't too early and it wasn't too late. So uh, I told my staff when my time comes, which, you know, maybe that jumped the gun a little bit that, you know, let me die with chocolate frosting on my lips. Like that's a good way to go. Right. So he still knew this was forbidden fruit that he was getting. He still knew who the people around him were. He was still happy, but we were right on the edge of, of choosing like, 
can he eat or can he breathe? Because the oral cancer was in his upper palate. So or it was in his palate. So it was starting to infringe on his ability to breathe, right? We're not going to do surgery. That's not going to work. So it was, we need to, like, we need to do this. And I think up until then, I've always done it too late, uh, where to be fair, if I've done it well, the only way I'm ready for them to go is if I go first. So I think it's changed my perspective on that quality of life. So would you say that your decision making about old age euthanasia with dogs, do you think your your view on that has changed through this experience? Um, Yes and no. I mean, every single hospice dog I've lost, we've lost three dogs in the last five days. So we say goodbye to dogs probably about four or five times average every two weeks. You know, we are constantly making these decisions and there is not one that is the same as the other. Maybe they have the same disease, um, you know, whether we're dealing with renal failure or um, heart failure or diabetes in conjunction with uh, arthritis or, you know, fused spines or cancer, whatever it is. But every single one has taught me something different about what I'm looking at and what what I need to look for. And so it made me an incredibly sharp I for what I'm looking at versus what I would say when I was originally starting, you know, even like six years ago, uh, when I first was doing this one dog at a time, um, it was not nearly as sharp. Um, and that being said, one of the most important things is having when you're doing something like this, my husband, um, because even though I try to be extremely sharp and he does too, we are incredibly emotional invested. You can't do this work and not be emotionally invested. So it's sometimes very important that Jake will say to me, Helen, it's time. And I will say, and he'll go, no, 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 it's time. And I'll do the same for him. And you need those kind of the two or three people that are rationally, emotionally invested, which is very difficult, a very difficult line to, to walk. And that's something that I've started really coaching clients on. You know, uh, and that's where that checklist of the function, purpose, and joy, like you were saying, Julie, the reason that 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 physical piece of paper helps is because it's keeping you in check. It's keeping you watching and making sure that you're taking care of that stuff. And that's that's very, very difficult to initially do because death in general is not talked about in a good way in our society and in our culture. Death is scary. Death is final. Death is, you know... We want to avoid it at all costs because we don't know what happens afterwards. So when we don't understand or know something, we want to avoid it at all costs. Now that I've become so familiar with it and I'm so understanding of what it is and that it's not the worst thing, death is not the worst thing for animals or for people. I look at things a little bit differently, but to say to say that every single, like, that they're all different, Tina. Every single one like we lost Axel yesterday and Axel was for a totally different scenario than Jameson on Friday. And then Elliot was on Thursday. Like we, it is constantly teaching me something different about each one. You have a one strong heart. I can't imagine that um, this is not, doesn't take a toll on you as well. I, I think that, uh, you know, if, if you are, if you are a caring person at all, this kind of thing can really take a toll. So you have a, an incredibly large and generous heart to do this. 
it's um it's something that I have learned. I've had to learn how to balance it. So I have, you know, I've one thing that was huge for me, Julie, in this work was when we bought this house and I was able to have the sanctuary not be in my living room. That made a huge difference for my quality of life, not just for the cleanup, but also for the ability to take a break and come back to my living room with my own, like, I hate to say, like, my own dogs, because these are all my dogs, but like my younger dogs, my healthy dogs, my animals that I wasn't worried about. I mean, anything can happen all the time, but I wasn't like watching them actively decline, if that makes sense. And yes, it it takes its toll um, significantly, sometimes more so than I let let on. But I found a balance in in having our farm here, um, in keeping my chickens, my pigs, my goats, having our horses and having my, you know, I have a lot of personal dogs in terms of like, I have, we have 13 dogs of my own. And those dogs, people are like, you have so many dogs. I'm like, yeah, but I also say goodbye to about four or five dogs every two weeks. So whatever keeps me able to continue doing this work, you know, you can't knock it until you're also doing that other side of it. So, you know, I'm finding my way through this slowly but surely, but it is it is a very heavy weight to carry. And that's, again, we're going circling back to what Tina was saying, people wanting to do this work. They have to be very careful in how they are going to find their ways of coping with that grief. Because if you don't have that system in place, and if you aren't self-aware enough to understand what you what you're going to be going through on a very almost sometimes daily basis with also anticipatory grief, you may find coping mechanisms that aren't the healthiest, or you end up holding on to the animal longer than you should. And that's where things can get really muddy and complicated. So you have young children who Mm -hmm. are hysterical and fantastic and (laughs) lovely. And so I just, I was telling Julie, like, it's a guilty pleasure to check in on the St. Pierre family and see what antics they're up to this week. Jake, as well as the girls. Uh, so a question I have for you with regard to this grief is how do you think it's impacting the kiddos? That's a great question. And it's a question that I'm always really thrilled to answer because um, the the kickback that I get whenever I suggest to people, oh, we want to get our first dog for our kids. I'm like, look for a senior dog. Now I'm not talking about a hospice dog. But look for a senior dog, eight, nine years old. And the kickback that I get is, oh, well, then they'll lose them so soon. And I don't think I could do that to my kids. And it makes me like itchy when I hear it because senior dogs and senior dog and hospice dog care has been one of the greatest things I could have ever done for my children. Hands down. Okay. Hands down. It has taught them about compassion. It's taught them selflessness. It's taught them about grief and emotion in a way that not many other experiences can. You know, what we have to understand again about death uh, and grief is there's going to be death in our lives no matter what. Whether whether we're dealing with death of relationships, whether we're grieving the loss of a job, whether we're moving somewhere or a relation, you know, anything like this, death and grief is going to be a part of your life. And coping and learning how to cope with that anticipatory grief, in the moment grief, after the aftermath grief, is 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 lessons that not a lot of kids get today because again it's like don't talk about it we want to avoid it at all costs um because it's sad <laughs> you know um and uh the kids have 
become so well-rounded because of it. And that's also a huge part also to do to the, the, the life that we have as well. Like we have a very happy life in terms of like, yes, we have, there's death. We say goodbye to a lot of animals, but we also have our eggs that our, that our chickens hatch for us. And we're feeding baby goats that we're bringing up. And like, there's just the circle of life understanding that we have here. Um, but even before the farm, we were, were doing this, you know, my daughters have grown up with, with a dying dog in the living room. Okay. Um, and understanding that life is precious. We need to not take it for granted. We need to find joy in those moments when we see the old dog have a really yummy dinner and start rolling around on the kitchen floor and is, is having fun, like appreciating those moments rather than always looking for how can we avoid not talk, like talking about that stuff. So it's really not something I honestly find that when that is used, when the child, the children's grief is used as an excuse to not go down the road of ad- adopting seniors. It's the hum- the adult human that is worried about that more than the kids are. Well, and we, you know, even with humans, we've completely insulated ourselves. Now it is interesting. So here locally, I'm seeing a big push to bring seniors in humans into our homes and live with them and hospice them and palliative care them in your home. I mean, one, just partially because of the expense, but two, you can bring extra care in to alleviate stress on a family and still provide phenomenal care. So it makes me think like it's so fascinating that culturally we're kind of going back to grandma aging out in our living room and families starting to experience Yes, the ugliness, because there is an ugly side to the death and dying process, but also the beauty of that and not to miss the opportunities to say, how did you and grandma and grandpa meet or to say to a senior dog, do you prefer a little bit of sweet potato or a little bit of pumpkin and having that dog go, wait, there's an option. Can I have both, please? Like we're doing bucket lists. Right. We're doing bucket lists with the dogs. Yeah. The same way we do bucket lists with the people. And that's such a beautiful thing. Like I have a, he's not a hospice dog, but I, I was given a senior dog two years ago. He significantly shortened my list of things that my dogs have never done. Um, he's, he's taught me a lot. Christopher jokes that he has a DNR, but, but he also is a phenomenal joy. Like he's hysterical and naughty. And I love that about him. And we would have, we would have missed. And this is a dog that if he had gone to the shelter between his behavior (laughs) and his voice, like no one would have adopted that dog. And if he was adopted, he'd really be at risk for abuse. He really would because he's occasionally incontinent, you know, like he just has little stuff that kind of comes and goes that the average family would be like, well, he, you know, he's mad at us and that's why he peed in the dining room. I'm like, no, he sometimes just gets caught short the same way at 53. I sometimes get caught a little short and have to run. And so it, it, I, it gave me a different perspective. It does break my heart. Like I have to tell you, like every single time you post about a dog that has transitioned to the next phase of peace and rest and joy, I am like, it's like I'm watching old yeller. Like I'm just sitting, reading, hearing your voice in my head, 
carrying your grief in my heart and boohooing like a big old baby for every one of these dogs, because I love that you fall in love with every single one of them. And so do we on the other side of the screen. So I want you to know, like, it does have that impact. I'm, you know, I'm way down in Georgia and I am, I am in, I was in love with Loretta. Like I, all of them, like you find each one's awesome. And I love that. Well, (laughs) what I was going to say is, is that I I love the idea of children being able to participate in the reality of the world, you know, in literature, like in in old yeller, old yeller may be a piece of of fiction, but I remember it was the first piece of work, first fiction. I read it when I was in the fourth grade that I understood the power of literature that I understood how deeply you can connect to it and how much it can make a difference in your life. Cause I remember, I'll never forget where I was sitting when I read the scene where old yellow dies and thinking to myself, wow. And I know that this dog isn't real, but it feels real. And I think that if we let our kids be the fullness of who they are, then we're actually doing them a real favor. And, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about that, that, that we shouldn't shy away I mean, not gratuitous, you know, violence and, and, but right. the reality of the situation, the reality. And so that when you experience it and then you read about it and, you know, these things become part and parcel of who you are. And as you said, it, it just, it's the perfect breeding ground for empathy and, um, and resiliency. I mean, yeah, resiliency absolutely. Is- yeah, because the kids yeah. are able to process that grief. They will talk about it. They will discuss it. And then we're able, we move to the to the next phase of whatever grief or, you know, discussion that we're having or, you know, and, and that could be laughing in terms of remembering something, but that resiliency is is key for kids today. And I don't honestly see it being discussed or talked about enough. We pad it here. Now that's not the case in other cultures. In in this, it's mainly honestly in the US culture. If you look at other cultures around the world when the way that they deal with death or discuss death, death is very often celebrated. But you know, we very much are a culture of if I don't understand it, it's and it's it then it's very scary and then it needs to be sort of avoided. And what I said to a client very recently who was looking for another dog is she said, Well, if the puppy, you know, then I'm not worried about how long we'll have. And I said, with all due respect, you could get a puppy that could get osteosarcoma and pass in two years. Right. So if you get a puppy and build your kids up to thinking your that dog isn't, you know, gonna be around for the next 10 to 15 years, you're already programming those kids to potentially have severe disappointment that dog could get hit by a car it could get osteosarcoma it could, anything could happen to any of us at all times so cherishing the last piece of life and and being grateful like we have little so we sometimes a lot of, well a lot of times we bring some of the oldies into our home and so we have myrna myrna's the house oldie she's 17 years old she has no jaw she pees everywhere and so we cherish old Myrna because she's made it 17 years. And so when she pees on the floor, you know, my five-year-old's like, Myrna had another accident. I'll get a paper towel, you know, and just, it just, it's just sort of like part of life and they're expecting it. 
you know, it's, and so it was really funny. Um, last, my last little comment for, I know you want another question, but my brother came over with his two kids from Spain and they have no animals in the house. Okay. So imagine coming to my house, which is just like, welcome to Dr. Doolittle, like the Ark. And, um, my, my five-year-old niece walks over and she's like looking at this tiny curled up, no jaw dog, you know, laying on the bed so like this. And Eve goes, that's Myrna. She has no jaw and she'll pee and just walked off. Like, it was just like, this is just what my is in my environment and kids. It's just like, it was so cool to see that from my, from my kid, you know, like there she is of just appreciating that this is what lives in our house. You know, one of the things I was thinking when you were talking is what it also teaches is the beauty of imperfection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about how there's just this drive to be perfect, to be supernatural, to be more than what you are. And there's a certain just, I think, beauty in imperfection and to embrace that and to welcome it and to say you are perfect in your imperfection and you're beautiful in your imperfection is just a tremendous gift to give to your kids. Yeah. No eyes. We have dogs that have no eyes. We have dogs that can't hear. We have horses. We have a horse who has blind in one eye and has, you know, completely deaf and he's got scabs all down his head because he bumps into things. So we've put pool noodles all around the barn and all that stuff and making those concessions for those animals that are a little bit what we would call broken or disabled. And appreciating them and finding fun and joy in them and and making them part of life is huge for the kids. I completely agree with you, Julie. Do they make halos for dogs or for horses the way they do for dogs? You don't want halos. Halos are actually something that we, you know, once you know more about blind dogs and, and you've lived with lots of blind animals or anything like that, it's actually worse to use halos than it is to let the animal bump into things. I've only used them for short periods yes. of time as the dog like with SARS yes where that first couple of weeks or days when it's really dangerous because it is I, I love that uh UGA loans them out like yes. here use them and when you're done with them bring them back and the next dog will use them uh we found it hugely helpful when the pug went blind because it allowed him to toddle around on his own and I wasn't as worried that he was going to hurt himself as he was getting used to being blind. Once yes. he was fully blind, then like within, I think probably three days we stopped using it because then it was, it was cumbersome. Unfortunately, a lot of people want to keep them on the animal all the time. And oh, that's no. actually not what you want to be doing. You want the, you want the animal to bump into stuff sometimes. Like it's hard to watch, but it's also literally part of the learning process for the animal to be able to learn about their environment. Well, to, to, in order for them to create that internal map, you yes. know, the one thing when I talk to my clients is like, okay, your dog's going blind. This is not the end of the world for you or for them. And, um, but just stop moving furniture around. You know, yes. your dog needs to have a map and they will create the map of their environment. But that, that, but we can't keep having construction on the roads. You know, you, you have to leave things as is. Well, and also like, navigating how to keep them safe right because that is a little bit of a learning curve and you're right it's awful to watch when they bump into things it amazes me how within like three days a dog figures out like don't run in a straight line because that ends badly 
<laughs> right? Yeah, like I mean, they do that Mako shark move where they hit everything at an angle. And you're like, excellent. You're starting to figure it out. Like slow down a little bit, bud, and use your ears so that you're, you can hear how close you are to the wall. I love it. So I, I mean, honestly, Helen, there's so much about this that is beautiful and rich and sad. All of it. Uh, do you find that as you tell these stories, it's building empathy for other people who are maybe, le- uh, not neurotypical or have disabilities? Like I would think that this speaks to even the human world of we're not all the same. We all have strengths and sensitivities and things that we're good at and we can't do anymore. This, I imagine, would build a lot of empathy for even the person who says this elderly dog is more than my family can navigate today. Because I think we we all sometimes get a little bit of a hard heart about that. And I think sometimes that's just not fair. That Families agree. are dealing with a ton of stuff. And at best, we know like 3% of it. And it's awfully easy to judge. I would much prefer a family to say, we can't do this. And then for an animal to languish or be abused just so I, because I somebody can't do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, we have a, we have a learning center for kids that have, um, in all kinds of disorders that come to volunteer with the old dogs and the old animals. Um, and it's really beneficial to them. I've got a lot of feedback that kids coming to the sanctuary with the older disabled dogs can sometimes be a lot more effective than going to just your regular animal shelter. You're not just dealing with homeless, you're dealing with these, all these other dis- disabilities. And that really pushes on that empathy and understanding that this goes across our species. I think to speak to what you're saying in terms of understanding that some people, like you said, the families that can't, there are two schools of thought on that that I have. One is absolutely yes, then, and that's why we exist to take those animals on. But also, people also then need to be okay and comfortable with also maybe saying goodbye to that animal themselves rather than putting the animal through a very stressful transition um if it's to whether it's to our sanctuary or any sanctuary or rehoming that animal because they don't have the capability and and that is a very difficult thing for humans to wrap their head around you know because sometimes it will feel like it's earlier than they potentially want it to be but when you think about quality of life and the transition that that animal is going to go through, potentially if they then have to rehome them, uh, that's a conversation that I have a lot of people with a lot of people that want to surrender and put the dog in my sanctuary, thinking that they're doing the right thing when actually the right thing to do would be to say goodbye to that animal prior to putting it through my sanctuary, because that is going to be a lot more for that animal to take on. We're not dealing with a three-year-old dog here that has hopefully 10 years left. We're dealing with a 14, 15 year old dog that's been with one person its whole life. And now it's going to be completely upended. So that's a difficult conversation and and it can go either way. Right. And it has to do with who's going to be on this side of the veil, loving them through it. Should it be someone who's known them their whole lives and adored them and knows all of their secrets and their quirks, or you're right. Is it someone like you who has fallen in love with an old dog? But I often, you know, I adopted Victoria as a teenager. I didn't get to see her first steps. I didn't get to see her learn how to ride a bike, right? There were pieces that I missed. And I often think those things in terms of like Mr. 
who I got as a 10 year old dog. And I mean, I know a lot of his quirks now, but I, I didn't get to see all of the and fall in love with the young puppy dog who was naughty and silly. Now I have the old silly naughty dog. So yes, I imagine that that can be a difficult conversation to navigate, but I love that either way, those animals, um, have someone who loves them at that important transition time. Uh, that's how it should be. It does shock me how often you have dogs that in the morning were great. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, I'm reading that you had to let them go because there was just a massive fast change. Yep. And that happens um, very, very much more but with dogs that are surrendered. Uh, at a late age in life, people do not understand what that. Well, we start sort of understand, but how much stress can impact physical health. So when you have a dog, they just, they cannot rebound from that kind of stress the way that they can when they're younger. And um, the expression of dying of a broken heart is something that we see a lot of the time here. And those are the ones that weigh the hardest on me. I don't have as much of a hard time with dogs that I get from shelters or rescues that I that I pull in from serious neglect or abuse. But when I get dogs in that have been with a person for 14, 15, 16 years, and that person is no longer there or the family can't care for them or that person just doesn't want to deal with the dog anymore. And those dogs get here and go, what did I do? I don't know what I did. Those are the ones that are the hardest because that that weighs a much harder toll on me emotionally long term. Well, I think this has been a great discussion and I'm so glad that you came on to join us. I kind of feel like we could basically have you on every week, Helen, and (laughs) there would be something new to talk about. This has been terrific. Um, I recently had a a novel release that I wrote called uh, The Beast Keepers. And um, there's one chapter where the vet gets his dog and um, he finds out the origin story of the dog. And what you're what you just said, I think if you read if you read that, you'll have a deep appreciation for this dog's origin story. So I don't want to say any more because I don't want to give it away. But uh, anyway, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, I was trying to think uh, we've covered so many things and we talked about some really tough topics, but in a very positive way. Uh, way. And I was just wondering if there's anything in particular that you would like to say make to our listeners that we perhaps haven't covered. I think my biggest thing is that um, people will ask me all the time, like, how do you do it? How do you do it? And it's like, because I have to. Um, and I would love, and I know it's never going to happen that way, but I would love that the burden would be less on many of us that are doing this work if we were promoting and really embracing and advocating for senior and hospice care as a community for our animals. Um, it, that doesn't mean that you have to give up your whole house and it has to be covered in pee and poop. You you can have one so- separate space that you dedicate to taking in an old dog and giving them that that help. You would be amazed at how many shelters, rescues, and places will help you do the help you with the financial medical care if you are willing to open and have that space for that animal for six months to a year you just have to be willing to take the heartache part of it but the heartache is outweighed 
so much by the experience and people need to realize that you won't realize that until you've tried it and you've done it. So that is my biggest takeaway for people is please, please consider this. Please think about going into your local shelter or rescue and saying, give me the oldest, sickest, stinkiest dog you have. That's what I want to help and go through that process. And if you do it once and you don't want to do it again, that's fine. But I can guarantee you, you'll want to do it again. You may need a break between it, but you'll want to do it again. And that is, that's what people need to take away from the work that I'm doing is I'm doing this because there's really no other place for these dogs. And I really would love it if more people wanted to do it. You don't have to have a sanctuary. You don't have to have 16 of them. I promise that's not the way you want to go. But if you do one at a time, it will change your life in so many ways for the good. So recently, old dogs go go to Helen had um had a really awful situation. Someone stole uh basically stole the identity of the organization, and all of your funds, all of your donations were stolen. It made me like I was in a rage, um, trying to figure out like how the heck can we help? And that was part of how I came up with the idea of inviting you on to the podcast so we can, we can try to help. So are you willing to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we had a, a scam um, that we were the victims of these very sophisticated scams that are actually happening all over. They're now, they're talking about it on Good Morning America now. It's all over national news. Um, we were the victims of a, someone that, in, um, was able to gain access to our Bank of America old dogs account and was able to take close to $10,000, which we have every nonprofit. One of the biggest things that we learned was that you want to have one month's worth of your expenses, your basic expenses sort of set aside just in case, right? If one month I got no donations, I want to make sure that I have everything set aside just in case. And that that averages around $10,000 a month is what we spend in supplies and medical care and vaccines, not, 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 not vaccines, um, you know, medic, everything that goes along with taking care of these dogs, not including emergency surgeries or anything like that. But so that was taken. <laughs> um, and it was awful. It was like one of the worst, like stomach dropping moments for me. Um, but we're doing okay. We were able to, you know, rally the the troops. We got a lot of support locally from our community. WMUR did a story on it. Um, but one of the reasons I talked about it was because, I mean, thank God we are a nonprofit and we were able to say, look, this just happened. But this is happening to like all kinds of like elderly, honestly, that don't know. And then they don't have social media to go out and say, I just lost $10,000. Can someone help recoup the funds? So we have been actively talking about it. But um, yes, donations towards our, our help sort of get that back up to where it needs to be. So we are okay, just in case. So we'll and where would we do those donations? In- right through the website. Okay. Uh, old dogs go to Helen.com has a donation page where you can donate right through either just our PayPal or our PayPal giving fund. You can also um, just go on bonfire and buy an old dogs go to Helen sweatshirt. And part of that purchase goes towards old dogs. So if you want to do it via, you know, that, and then we also have an Amazon wish list. If you want to send a bag of food or uh, some paper plates or a can of pumpkin puree to the oldies, you can do anything like that. Um, but 
I do say to people a lot, financial contributions to old or senior sanctuaries is where we need it the most because you can with send us paper, but we need, we need medicine. Medicine is what we spend the majority of the, our funding on medicine and vet care. So how else can we love you? That's it. Just, just like old dogs go to Helen on Facebook and, um, watch the stories of these little oldies. Yeah. Um, and, and they're just, they're just they're great. so cute and they're, yeah, so, they're so funny. Yeah. Like how plucky little old ladies and little old men they are, right? That they're yeah. just like I love when you're like we are obviously doing it wrong. Like Mildred thinks we should be doing this an entirely separate way. <laughs> I also I I personally would love your recommendations on like like what are the best rug like what are the best washable rugs? What are the best Slip covers that that protect your fur. Like these are all things that, as our dogs age, we all need to know. And you are, if nothing else, an excellent R and D facility. Yeah. So we, um, you know, when are when you're on the old dogs um page on Facebook, you'll see my good death course uh that I'm teaching next next month. It's a three week course, and it's a course where I talk about that exact thing: function, purpose, and joy. How you measure that. I also will post there my Savoring the Sunset course on helping seniors where I cover all kinds of equipment, what I recommend, what versus I, what doesn't work, you know, and all of that stuff, Whether especially even talking about like dis- dogs with disabilities, halos, wheelchairs, what works, what doesn't work, what when I found things that do do well and then other things that I've learned in the past now has just been like, you really don't need that stuff. It's like when you get to have a baby, your first baby, and your house is filled with stuff. And by the time you have your fourth baby, you've got them in a drawer in the dresser next to you, just because you're like, whatever, you know, as long as you're comfortable and you're quiet, that's fine with me. So, it, you know, yes, if you if you like that, you'll see all of those resources, Tina, of all of that stuff. Great. So are you looking for other instructors? Because we, so our podcast, Cast has a lot of families, a lot of veterinarians, as well as dog trainers. Like we're all we're all in it together, grandparents. So, are you looking for instructors for these programs for other areas? Um, at this point, no. I really want to start though having guests. Like, I'd love to do a, a senior dog like a monthly live chat. I where love I'm, that idea. Where I bring in like chiropractors and all that stuff. I honestly, um, I just right now I don't have, I have to learn to delegate that stuff because so much of my time is caring for the dogs. And it's a, it's a fine balance for me as I don't want to lose sight and stop doing that in order to be doing. So yes, that, that's all coming, Tina. It's just taking, finding the ways to delegate what and where so that I can do that, but also not, um, not lose my time with the dogs. Cause that feeds me to then do this stuff. And what ages do you tell people to start like attending, like if we were going to, if I was going to promote this with our local vet population, at what age would you target the pet to be to start looking at those? Like, I mean, I think you should Because be, a Doberman, eight is a thousand years old and yeah. a Vizsla, eight is starting to calm down a little bit. I mean, I've had, um, I have veterinarians, trainers, um, I have groomers, I have people, the public taking the good death course that don't have seniors yet, but just are want or savoring the sunset to just want to expand their understanding of end of life care. 
um, and how to have those conversations, right? How do you, how to have conversations with kids about death? Uh, how do veterinarians, how can we have veterinarians talk about the end of life conversations um, with clients? Because uh, one thing that's very difficult in the veterinary community today is learning when do we promote extending life? And when do we start having the conversation about ending life without upsetting the client, right? Like that's a very difficult road to walk. And vets are unfortunately so stretched thin. They've got 20 minutes. They are oftentimes sort of like balancing a whole array of things. And so this course is designed for anybody that wants to just, whether you've just got a new puppy and you want to learn what this is, or you're dealing with an elderly animal, it doesn't matter. It's designed for across the board. We just, um, Sid Happens just started an adolescent puppy course because I realized we were like doing puppy and then we were like, you're doing great. Off you go. And then they were coming back like mm-hmm. four months later, pulling their hair out because we were goofballs and didn't prepare them for adolescence. And so, yes, I have this big piece of me that's like, I, I need to be providing like this savoring the sunset and preparing. Like we talk to people all day long about all the things you need before you bring your puppy home. But you're right. We don't talk to them about what they'll need as their dog is aging to prepare for that. Right. I love that you're doing this work and I love you so much. And I hope you feel our love from all corners of the world as you and we all fall in love with these oldie goldies and their their silly and hystericalness. That, that has helped a lot. You know, the, the blessing that social media has a lot of curses to it, but the oh, yeah. blessing behind it has been the community support because again, it's a very lonely life unless I use social media to gain that sort of reinforcement for us that even though, you know, every time we get a donation in, like even, even if it's as simple as like 10 or $20, we know that there are a lot of people that can't do this work, but when they send that or they even they don't have to send monetary, but they're like, thank you so much. or anything, That feeds Jake and I. We're like, there are people out there that see the work that we're doing and the poop that we're scooping and the, the goodbyes that we're saying, and it's helping keep us afloat. So I really appreciate that. Well, and I will say for you had one senior that you like created a mannequin version of you. Oh, yeah. Felon. We call him felon because felon. of this Helen. So- Fake so Helen. Fake no, Helen. but that was brilliant. And I actually used that like the next week. Somebody called me with an old cat who, if it wasn't on somebody's lap, was losing its marbles. And so we got like the the pressure activated heating pad, put it on the felon for that woman and game changer. Woman could do life with her kids and cat was happy and content. It, this is yep. like this cat's 22 years old. Like she's She's like a rickety old house, but she's healthy and she's happy. She just wants to be on a lap. So we made, so there is a Georgia version of a felon who is for a cat. So like, I love all these, like, there's such fantastic ideas and a rich, like, it's an honor to call you my friend. And I'm, this is going to sound patronizing. It's not intended that way. I'm so proud of you. Like what a beautiful gift you are to the world. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. It really does. Yes. Well, Helen, I have really enjoyed getting to know you in this brief moment. And I really hope that you will come back to your family dog 
and uh, yeah. we can continue this discussion. So I'd love to talk so about much. senior dogs and young dogs. If you ever want to talk about senior people bringing in puppies when they have a senior dog at home, let's talk about that. I get that. Question that would be a great topic. I would love to have that one because I do get that one. Oh, wait, well, he seemed so lonely when his friend died. So we thought yeah. we'd get him a puppy. Okay. And the old dog's like, please take it back. Please, please, yes. please take it back. Yes. yes. That could be a fascinating transition. <laughs> yes. yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll send so you the booking link. Me. We'll send you the booking okay. link again and you could just keep book three just months keep out. Just keep <laughs> booking and come on. Because seriously, these are conversations that I think you're right. Like you have trainers have to be a certain amount of long in the tooth to pick their heads up long enough to go, wait, there's this whole thing that we're, we're missing. Right. So yeah, come back, come back. and Please do. Please do. We would really love to have you back. Give lots of money. People give lots of money, help, help these sweet old dogs out. And we will make sure that the, the link to that is on the website as well as the one to it. Did you say it was bonfire where you can get the sweatshirt? Yeah. Well, if you go to old okay. dogs, go to Helen and you okay. go to donate, you'll see all of those. Okay. Great. Already provided Julie. Great. Well, we will make sure that those are all put on the website. So thank, thank you so you much so for much. joining us. All right. We'll see you all next time on your family dog. Thanks for listening to your family dog. Got questions, interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.